Welcome back to the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement, and we are coming to you tonight from the Detroit Foundation Hotel. So I'd like to welcome Dave Game, our President and CEO. Hey, Jill. Hey, how are you? Good. You like this location, don't you? I'm feeling it. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> and I'm Sean, feeling it. And Sean DeFore, our COO and Senior Vice President. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jill. This is a really unique location because we have a big bay window that looks uh, to downtown Detroit. And as people are walking by, I think they think we might be, we might be famous. Um, and so people are taking pictures and stopping and looking. And so we just pretend we are. And it, it kind of works for us, I doesn't it? I think it's because I'm sitting with my back to it. And right. <laughs> we should have the you on the other side. Head. You have the Wellspring logo the on. The back then. of my head looks yeah. famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> So we have a really cool topic that we're going to be uh, really launching. It's something that um, Leading Age of really nationally, the membership organization of Leading Age has been talking about for some time now. Um, but as Wellspring, we've been talking about it a little more internally, and I am really excited to talk about it um, just with a bigger conversation. So Dave, we have someone pretty special with us that has uh, agreed to spend their evening with us. So I would love for you to introduce her since you guys have worked together for a long time. And mm -hmm. I know your time as Leading Age Board Chair has brought you even closer. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. All right. So it is um, definitely an, an honor to, uh, to introduce Katie Smith Sloan to our podcast tonight. Katie is the uh, CEO of Leading Age based in Washington, D.C. As you mentioned, Jill, I've spent a little bit of time with that organization over the years. And in that time, I've gotten to know Katie as she has uh, served that organization so well for so long. Um, but she's been president and CEO now for what, Katie, a couple of, couple of years, four years, maybe? Just a little over three. Okay. Well, I'm rounding up. So, um, <laughs> but let me, let me get a, a, a little bit of sort of Katie's credentials, if you will, on the, on the table here for us. Um, in, in a, so Leading Age is a, is a membership organization of, of nonprofit senior service organizations from across the country. Um, so it has a unique position, I think, in the advocacy world because its, it's, it's voice is that of the nonprofits. And, and we feel like that um, gives it some strength and a sort of unique position in, in, in Washington and in other places. Katie um, is serving in that role and leads us uh, just amazingly well. Um, but she's also doing some other things that matter to this conversation. Um, serving as executive director of the Global Aging Network, which has a presence in over 50 countries around the world. Wow. So this is not just a Washington, D.C. national voice, but it is a, a global voice. Uh, she's on the uh, board of directors for the Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation in Toronto and um, a Help Age USA, Long-Term Quality Alliance. So Katie's life is all about the work in the aging field. And so... Um, Katie, I'm really happy to have you with us. So thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for including me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to talk. We could talk about a lot of things with you, um, and maybe we'll have to do that in some future uh, podcasts as well. But what we really want to talk about tonight is is the issue of ageism, which is which is an issue that um, leading age has really sort of grabbed a hold of and elevated into the public dialogue. Um, others have as well, but, but, but Leading Age has uh, really adopted it. And um, so, Katie, would you just maybe start us off by giving us sort of a working definition of ageism? Because I'm guessing a lot of the folks that will be listening to this haven't really thought about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd, have, I'd be happy to. And thanks again for, for including me on this podcast. Um, so for, 
ageism is that that it's core stereotyping and discriminating against individuals or groups on the basis of their age. And with respect to older adults, it's a tendency to view older persons as debilitated or unworthy of attention or unsuitable for employment. Mm-hmm. And for, for us at Leading Age, you know, we've really looked at this issue deeply and we recognize that it, it, it actually perpetuates powerful and pervasive stereotypes that ultimately demean the individual and the impact, impact their quality of life. So Katie, I know that um, when, when I was transitioning off the board at Leading Age and you were really coming into your CEO role, there was a, a really intense strategic planning process you led the board through at that time that led to sort of claiming this as, uh, as the issue. In fact, um, Leading Age really has set a vision that says the vision for leading age is an America freed from ageism. Is that right? That's exactly right. So, so why is this issue so important to leading age? You know, it's important because ageism really stands in the way of everything that we are trying to do as we try to improve the quality of life for people as they age. It, by perpetuating stereotypes, negative stereotypes, that demean individuals and the impact in their quality of life. It stands in the way of our ability to raise philanthropic dollars. Right now in this country, 2% of philanthropic dollars go to causes associated with aging. Wow. And I have to believe at some level that has to do with some level of ageism. It stands in the way of our mm-hmm. ability to, to recruit staff, individuals, to uh, work with people as older adults in their aging journey. Uh, It stands in the way of our ability to influence uh, the kinds of public policies that will really support people uh, in their aging journey. So what we discovered as we were going through the strategic planning process is that at the core of the barriers that impact our ability to do so well, what organizations like Wellspring do, is this sort of insidious uh, bias against older people. And that if we could, as a national organization, um, with a strong, deep commitment to serving the needs of older adults, somehow help to mitigate, to whittle away against this, um, perhaps one of the last isms in in this country, we could make a real difference. And I would say that, you know, ageism, unlike the other ism, is is something that will impact every single person in this country who reaches old age. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just a, it's not a it's not a subset of the population. It's not a small deal. It's a big deal. Uh, but it's one that has really uh, it's been under the radar screen for way too long. Mm hmm. So, Katie, I think you just made a really interesting point uh, and an important one, which is that ageism seems to be one of the last bastions of isms that uh, people don't talk about a lot. There doesn't seem to be a big outcry around. Can you talk a little bit about why you think that is, especially given that um, at some point all of us will face it if it persists? Yeah. Because we're all going to be older older adults at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a great question, and I think I think the answer to that is denial. Hmm. I think that um, we, as a society, actually as a world, I think in many ways, um, 
deny the fact that we will grow old and that 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 we are discriminated against as older adults, and that's become normative, sadly. Um, that it's that it's become okay to use uh, to have ageist attitudes, behaviors, and words in our vocabulary, and you see that in every you see it in Hallmark cards, uh, you see it in television ads, you see it all over the place, and when you start paying attention to the fact that these messages are actually not, uh, they're debilitating, they're, they're demeaning of uh, the aging experience in older adults, then you really begin to wake up to the fact that this is insidious. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and some of those, I mean, imagine, you know, a, a greeting card that called out some, some difference in someone. <laughs> Right, yeah. because of a physical disability or the right. color of their skin. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't stand for that for a hot second. But right. we have whole rows of these things in the greeting card racks of our stores. That all mm-hmm. that just a whole industry around this stuff. And I yeah. and I think too there's a there's a there's a flip side um, issue for us on this too. Not only does it demean and and minimize that that elderly person. But when we, you know, we, we, we're also sending messages to our youth, right? Uh-huh. And so when we, when we say, you know, when we send the black balloons and the, and the, you know, ageist greeting cards for the 50th birthday party, what is that saying to our 15-year-old sons and daughters who mm-hmm. are seeing that already under a lot of pressure to produce and, and, and feel like they've arrived and... It's no wonder they're under such pressure. Rather than yeah. revering age and saying, "Man, I've got a long time to come into myself," now we got people, you know, these young people who are really challenged to say, "Wow, if 50's over the over the hill and I'm turning 20 in a little while here, what does that say to me about my about my life?" And and I and I think that's just something that we haven't really thought about when we talk about ageism. Yeah. I was going to ask, Katie, you're a part of the Global Aging Network. Yeah. Um, you're the executive director. Uh, do you see the same kind of ageism uh, around the globe? Are there countries that are that are uh, respecting uh, age and various stages better than we are? Um, we're seeing it everywhere. And the World Health Organization has actually been doing a lot of work on ageism, combating ageism. Um, and really calling attention to how we think, feel, and act about age and aging, and how it impacts both old and young, to Dave's point, which is a great point. But they um, have been doing sort of a systematic review of of research and articles that have been published on ageism. And what they learned is that 60% of individuals, older individuals in 57 countries report that older people are not respected in their countries. and that the younger younger people tend to be are more likely to be ageist, um, and it really impacts their uh, quality of life. So this isn't an, a U.S. issue. This is a global issue, um, and I think there's you know a lot of um, a sort of uh, co- conventional wisdom that in other countries older people are revered, but they in fact and they may be, but they still are, are impacted by. Uh, ageism. So Katie, would you talk a little bit about what you hear from our leading age members that do the kind of work we do across the country and how they're 
understanding ageism is challenging them in their work? What, what, do, we, what do we know about that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So we have been working on a project with uh, Virginia Commonwealth University and have put together a sort of a training program, training manual and video for member organizations to use with their residents, with their staff, with their boards, really calling attention to ageism and, and trying to um, trying to inst- institute a conversation about ageism in their communities. And residents have told us through this that um, they don't like to be called dear or dearie. They mm-hmm. view that as ageist, ageist, that they are very aware that no one goes to them to, for help with technology. Um, Mm-hmm. That that the fact that they live in a, a age segregated community reminds them that they are old, um, and so they're so the residents are really tuned in to the fact that they are living in an ageist environment, even if it's an age segregated environment um, where they're in effect and hopefully celebrating people for whatever age they are. Right. Um, Management and staff um, have really noticed a lot as we brought bring attention to this um, that they don't listen well to their residents and clients. They get they get uh, you know they're sort of impatient. Um, they criticize memory issues. They assume disabilities and cognitive cognitive de- deficits just go with aging. Mm-hmm. Um, they get impatient with food, you know, the food lines and how long it takes people to go through food lines. They don't want to see walkers in the dining room. So there are all these aspects that um, we haven't really labeled as ageist before. But now that we're focusing on ageism, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Language is a huge issue. Um, you look great for your age. You're 75 years young. You're young at heart. This is a senior moment. I mean, those are all sort of ageist examples of the language that's just become part of our normal lexicon. And as we begin to call attention to ageism, whether it's in a senior living community or in the community at large, people begin to say, ah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That was not a good thing to have said. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking back to when I was... uh, young in my career anyways, and starting out and uh, was practicing pharmacy. And when I decided to leave that practice to get into aging services, I can't tell you how many people told me what a dumb career move that was, right? Giving up a perfectly good pharmacy career for working with those old people is how one of them phrased it. And I didn't understand it then as ageism, but really that's certainly what it was that why would a, Why would a sort of up-and-coming pharmacist throw his career away to go work with those old people, right? And and yeah. I, and and we know that that's that's true in our in our schools even today. We've bumped into um, uh, a, a, a university near one of our campuses that was training nurses and um, had a professor uh, in that nursing department literally tell his students, some of whom were working for us at the time, that you know when they graduate they should you know, go off and do real nursing, and then they could always go work in with the elder community later on when they sort of want to slow down and not do real nursing anymore. Wow. Um, it, it, to, to say that, that, that's not that long ago, by the way. That's probably 
seven, eight years ago, maybe. Right. So. And that's not unique to your situation. I've heard that from other people in other parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, um, a a woman in her eighties, you know, I was talking to her about uh, just about life and, and what's it, how, what's her experience in terms of aging. And she said, you know, Dave, the hardest thing for me is that I'm now invisible in a crowd. Yeah. She said, I can walk, you know, down the mall or at the grocery full of people and, and I'm just in the way and people are looking right through me. Hmm. And just think about what that says about how we honor and revere our elders. Exactly. We have come a long way from that. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I mean, I'm really thankful, um, that we're having this conversation and Katie, that you're sort of at the forefront of championing this work, I have to say, just listening, I feel like I'm learning a lot and recognizing how little we talk about this. And Uh and like you said, how insidious and pervasive the problem is. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really quite sad. And so one of the things I want you to comment on, on Katie, which uh, Dave and I were talking about earlier, I'm hearing a lot of conversation around the presidential election uh, that's coming up in 2020. And the number of older adult candidates that are in the race and whether mm-hmm. they are quote unquote too old and concerns about cognitive decline, which your comment about assuming cognitive mm-hmm. decline sort of prompted this for me. What do you think about when you hear those debates, when people say such and such candidate is too old, we we don't need old candidates running for president. What would you say to those folks that make those comments? So my, my response to that is that it just makes me incredibly sad to think that age is even an issue, a factor, that people even think about age. I mean, they could say the same thing about somebody's too young, and that would be a wrong thing to say in my mind. So to me, it's, age should not even be in the equation. And when it becomes part of the equation, then it is then ageism creeps right in. Mm-hmm. So Katie, what can we do? What, what, what can we do to start to combat ageism uh, every day? How can we change the conversation? Well, you know, I think one thing we can do is just to recognize it when it happens. And what I've noticed since Leading Ages declared this, you know, America Freed from Ageism as its vision is that the more we talk about it, the more we get these aha moments from people where they're actually recognizing, yes, that was wrong. That was ageist. And and actually being able to uh, to to articulate the fact that this was not a good situation, call it out when you see it. Um, you know, Dr. Becca Levy from Yale has done some very interesting work on ageism, and and she has learned that when older people feel as if they're being discriminated against, it really has a negative impact on their health. And those who have a and and their self perception of themselves as an older adult, mm-hmm. but when they have when they have positive self perceptions of aging, they live longer. They live seven and a half years longer than those with less wow. positive perception of, of aging. So in my mind, we owe it to older adults to call it out and, and to try to reverse this, you know, this sort of what has become a phenomena, I think, in our country. Now, we know as leading age and as organizations like Wellspring and, the, and others around the country, you know, we can only take so much of a bite out of this apple. I mean, this is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think our role in as providers of services for older adults and communities all across the country is to start raising awareness about it, start talking about it, making it 
part of our conversations, not hide behind it, um, because I think only that way will people begin to recognize it as something that needs to change. I think that's well said. So, Katie, I want to sort of expand that a little bit and have you, if you would, describe for us what does an America freed from aging look like? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think it is a, is a country in which the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk um, about people, sort of regardless of age, reflects um, respect, inclusivity, and we honor the individuality, the wisdom, the abilities, and the dignity of each person, regardless of their age. So age becomes a non-factor. I think, um, and and that sort of goes back to the answer to the question about the presidentials. It shouldn't be a factor in how we think about people. Well said. So, Katie, I have actually have a question for you. So, I'm sure there was a point in your journey so far as leading age um, CEO where this became very real for you. Um, whether it was a story or whether you were um, visiting a site, um, can you share kind of when this hit you and when you said, okay, this really makes a lot of sense to me? Yeah, it's a great question. So there are a couple, two examples. One is that um, I have a 95-year-old dad who is cognitively intact, and I took him to, I went with him to a doctor's appointment because he has some mobility limitations and he just needs somebody with him. And the doctor spoke only to me. Hmm. I, he was talking to me about my dad. He wasn't talking to my dad. He was talking to me. Just so the assumption there was my dad couldn't understand what he was talking about, probably couldn't hear, maybe wouldn't under, be able to understand it. So he needed to address his conversation to me. And I thought, this is wrong. You know, my dad's a smart guy. He can hear this stuff. He can respond. I don't have to respond for him. So that. That was something that really struck me as being, wow. <laughs> um, but then, you know, within the leading age community, I've seen so many times that we've referred to the notion of, for example, in putting somebody in a memory support unit, unit and describing the goal as retaining self-worth. So the assumption behind that is implicit that with a di diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or a other dementing illness, your self-worth is in question. So, you know, from my mind, it's one thing for a person to say they feel a challenge to their self-worth because what, of what they're facing and the losses that come with cognitive impairment. But it's entirely different thing for, any, for someone else to suggest that self-worth is in question. So when I, I began to think about my own personal example and then how I see some of the language and references that we use in our own member communities, I began to think, this is, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So what can we do about it? Um, so I think we need to hold a mirror up to ourselves um, and think hard about how we're talking about what we do, how we're talking to the people that we serve, how we're trying to understand their lives, what's important to them um, as people, as individuals with dignity, with respect, um, and then, you know, obviously there's huge work to do with Hollywood and Madison Avenue and things that are well beyond our, um, our purview, but mm -hmm. um, hopefully we can, you know, just tweak them a little bit. Yeah. That's a conversation worth having though, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It is worth, it is a conversation worth having. Yeah. Yeah. 
I wonder, Katie, from a policy advocacy standpoint, which is something that Leading Age does and something you've been involved in, are there specific policies or areas that one could advocate around or educate uh, legislators about uh, with regard to ageism that you would suggest or that Leading Age is working on? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of everything that we do. And we don't we don't miss an opportunity to talk about the fact that, um, you know, it's it's a hard one because mm-hmm. we don't want to be starting to pit populations against each other, mm-hmm. you know, which is the risk you run by saying we need more funding for older Americans, which means less money for younger Americans. That's not our that's not our point. But, um, you know, our, our, we've done a lot of work on long term care financing. And that's a perfect example where, you know, we have a real need in this country and yet it's being totally overlooked by policymakers. And a lot of it is that there's an assumption that I think this is my opinion here Mm -hmm. that because we've done, we have social security and Medicare, we've taken care of older adults and they don't have any additional needs. And that's um, to me sort of a, a convenient brush off. So we use every opportunity that we can. We're, it's about, uh, we're coming up on uh, World Elder Abuse Day. And that's an opportunity for us to talk about how, um, talk about ageism in the context of abuse and neglect. Um, and so it's, it, it's um, I don't, there's not a bill or a piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. It's a part of everything, mm-hmm. our entire uh, advocacy agenda. We're getting more and more involved in workforce um, policy issues. And, you know, clearly there are, for example, there are uh, apprentice programs through the Department of Labor that focus on all kinds of job kinds of things, but nothing in aging. Um, So why not? We've got plenty of great jobs in aging that could benefit from an apprenticeship program. Why not? Uh, So we, um, so we may not say it's ageism, but it is ageism at some level. And it's an opportunity for us to talk about the need to invest in older adults just as we invest in other populations. So, Katie, for folks who are going to listen to this podcast in the future and hopefully, uh, you know, over time, uh, this will help get the message out. Where would we want to drive them to learn more about what we're doing at Leading Age and sort of where the field is trying to go with this? Yeah. So it's a great question. So we have on our website um, a lot of www.leadingage.org, a lot of resources, including we have a podcast episode on ageism Um, in our, uh, we have a podcast series called Aging Unmasked and ageism is one of the issues, but we also have developed um, a, this video training program it's training and it's more awareness for member organizations to use with their staff, with their boards, with their residents. It really just includes a number of examples of ages. It talks about what ageism is, a number of examples of how it manifests itself. And then the point of it is to really stimulate a conversation. Mm-hmm. How does ageism, how is it manifest in our organization? What yeah. can we do about it? What are examples that you've seen? Are there ways that we want to, Focus on ageism within our member organization. So that's us. That's in our learning hub mm-hmm. on our website. Great. And um, I think it's a great tool. Um, was done with lots of focus groups with members and with residents and with boards, so that we sort of made it real uh, for the intended audience. Yeah. Um, so check it out. That's great. Yeah, I've seen some of those tools and, and resources. They're really, really well done. 
So, Katie, before Jill grabs the mic for me and uh, <laughs> calls this to a close, I just want to say thank you for um, for being with us, certainly, but also just thank you for what you're doing for the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a fabulous leader for the cause, and um, it's a privilege and a blessing to, to, to know you and to be able to work alongside you sometimes. Well, Dave, I feel the same way about you, so thank you. I can't grab the mic from that. That was a perfect way to end. There you go. But Katie, I do remember the first time I ever met you and saw you on that big stage at the Leading Age National Conference. And as a woman in leadership, especially in senior services, I have to say that I've looked up for looked up to you for a lot of years um, and just you're doing incredible work and you have the heart to match. And so that is a, a duo that uh, every woman hopes that she has and really men too, right, Sean? Right, Dave? That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, as we wrap up, Katie, thank you again for your time and we definitely will do our best to educate people in Michigan and hopefully nationally um, just about ageism and drive people to the resources that you described earlier. So uh, thank you all for listening and we look forward to joining, hopefully you joining us for the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. Thank you. Thank you for talking about ageism. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Katie. All right. Bye Take now. care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.